find the truth, leave the lies. And while you think you're just digging down and digging down, what you're actually doing is passing the center of the earth and you're on your way to paradise. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning. That is what we seek. That is what we truly want. And you absolutely are here to serve the world. And I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Thanks to Glossier for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. You probably know Glossier for their skincare products and for popularizing the glowy, dewy skin look. Glossier also creates makeup products, body care products, and fragrance. For a limited time, new customers can get 10% off your first order. This deal expires soon, so act fast. Glossier.com slash podcast slash dream job. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So right now you're listening to a girl who is so happy like really so filled up because we are in New England, staying on a farm, soaking up the fall leaves. And it's just so beautiful here. I feel like God is just showing off. It is just so unbelievable. And I just want to say, you know why we came up here? Because I just felt like we should. It wasn't because it was practical. It wasn't because it was a good productive use of time. I feel like life in in the heart of the heart of it is about answering the question, How much can I possibly live today to the fullest? How much can I experience the most epic amount of joy today? And the truth is I've always really tried to follow the hunches and then you open up to the magic and that's when the best surprises come. And I just love New England. Like for me, I'll take New England over Paris any day of the week and anywhere in the world for that matter. I just think it's the most magical place in the world. And I just wanted to be up here just to breathe the air. I think sometimes we get so stuck in our upper limit, like this artificial ceiling we create on what we think is possible. And we try to figure out the how, and we don't breathe in and just ask ourselves, what do I really want? What do I really desire? What would feel so crazy good? What would be the most expansive way to spend my time? And I'm hoping actually that this huge pattern interrupt we've all been going through, through this pandemic will, will force us to ask those big questions and then maybe allow ourselves to dream. And, and what would happen if you didn't worry about the how? What would happen if you left that to God and you just allowed yourself to dream as big as you could? If, if it wasn't your job to figure out how it was all going to line up, what would you maybe admit to yourself that you want? So here's to dreaming a little bit louder and bigger this week and next week too.
So today is an awesome episode for you. One of my favorite people is here, Martha Beck. I've quoted her so many times and she's actually been on the show once before. She's a New York Times bestselling author, a life coach, Oprah Magazine columnist, and she has three Harvard degrees in social sciences. She's written some of my favorite books like The Joy Diet, Finding Your Own North Star, Expecting Adam, Finding Your Way in a Wild New World. And she has a new book coming in April. It's called The Way of Integrity and it explores why integrity and being in harmony with ourselves is the key to a meaningful and joyful life. It's available for pre-order right now, so you definitely want to go get yourself a copy. So Martha was on the podcast back in 2018. We had an awesome conversation, so you can go back and take a listen to that. But she's been such a role model to me for decades, and it was such an honor to have her back again. I I brought her in, actually, as a special guest to speak to my um, coaching program and to all the students that I coach, and it was so special that I decided we should play it for all of you. The things that she says in this episode are just so powerful. I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, please welcome the one and only Martha Beck. Martha, thank you for just being here. You're such a gift. Just being in the world, walking through the world, you just free people from their suffering. to get to (laughs) be around you. Thank you. That's very kind of you. It's just the truth. I just get to reflect the truth. So um, just to catch everybody up who, for whatever reason either didn't hear the first episode or hasn't been alive for the last (laughs) many years. Um, Maybe it would be nice for them to hear a little bit about your journey because sometimes it seems like people were just born enlightened and perfect and joyful. Oh Um, my gosh, not this one. I mean, I first remember being clinically depressed when my legs weren't long enough for my feet to touch the floor on an average chair. I did, I was an anxious, depressed child. Grew up in a very, some might say strange environment, very, very super religious and just strange. And by the time I was a teenager, I was done. I was like, get me off this bus. Everybody's terminal on it anyway. So why should I stay? And I was really, really miserable. And I just, I would walk around. I saw a play where the last lines were, teach me how to be happy, teach me how to be happy. And I would just walk around saying, teach me how to be happy, teach me how to be happy. I literally didn't remember ever having been happy. And I was trying to compensate. I was trying to do the things the culture said would make me happy, achieving in school, getting everyone's approval, trying to look right and dress right and be right. And I just was more and more miserable. And everything really turned around when I was 25 years old. I'd gotten married between my undergraduate degree at Harvard and my graduate degrees at Harvard, um, all of which were pushing me really hard. And I had a little baby. I was trying to be a working mother in a very intense environment. And I got pregnant again. And it was a very strange pregnancy. The first thing that I noticed, besides the constant throwing up that never ended, (laughs) was, I will just say it, I became psychic. I was, I suddenly was able to, like, I'd think of someone I loved that was far away and I would see what they were seeing with really crisp detail. And then I'd talk to them later and they would tell me about exactly what I'd been seeing. And I thought, well, this is really weird. Well, everything went wrong during the pregnancy that you can imagine. I was caught in a high rise fire. I was in a car accident. I was constantly sick. I nearly bled out a couple of times. And when I was about six months along, they did an amniocentesis and found out that my son had Down syndrome. And I had to choose very quickly, do I have a late-term abortion? I'm very pro-choice. Or do I keep the baby? 
And I was so bonded to him. And besides, my life had gotten so weird. I thought, maybe the reality isn't what I think it is. So I kept him. And people told me I was throwing away my life. And I agree with them. I was. But it turns out the life I was throwing away was the one where I was miserable and depressed all the time. (laughs) And the life that I had going forward was this brave new world. It was all the bets were off. I was like, I'm just going to allow anything to be possible until I'm certain it's not true or useful. And so my, my son was never normal and would never be normal in most people's eyes. So I stopped having to be normal. And it was a horrible experience to lose that. It felt like so, you know, my ego had to die at so many levels. But then my ego was dead and I was aware and alert and curious about reality in a way I hadn't been before. And from there on, I had many adventures, many of which took me to really difficult places. I dealt with being abused as a child and in doing so lost my, I left my religion and that meant leaving my family, my friends, everybody that I'd loved up to the age of about 20. And that was really a deep grief. But again, I got back a life where I didn't have to consent to go along with authority systems that I felt were oppressive. And I fought my way out of that mentally. And I've watched the Black Lives Matter movement with so much just astonishment and awe that people are fighting their way out of that level of oppression because in a tiny way, it felt like that to me. And it's really, really hard, even if it's tiny. So my mind kept getting wider, I think. And then I came to this concept of just the truth will set you free. And I thought, I'm going to test that. I'm going to, for a year... I'm not going to tell a single lie of any kind, not with my words, not with my facial expression, not with my plans. I'm just going to do what's true for me. And abruptly, my life got like showered with everything I'd ever asked for, like, you know, financial security, love, happiness, uh, connections with people I'd always admired, but never thought I would meet. It just, it was nuts. I was suddenly in this paradise and it just, All that I had to do to get there was tell the truth. I wasn't doing any of the law of attraction stuff really, except I just stuck with my own truth. And I believe that comes inside each of us, the knowledge of our own truth. And so, yeah, that brings me to my latest book, which is about how I did all that, how I learned to find the truth in myself and stay with it so closely that I'm never divided from myself. And when you're never divided from yourself, you never hurt the way you hurt when you let things divide you from yourself. And that's why I love your podcast because it's about the way culture tears people apart from their true selves through the employment systems and social systems and all that. My God, you're like, it's Herculean strength to be able to have done what you've done. You know, I'm just in the middle of doing this Joe Dispenza workshop and he's like basically saying the same words in his own words, which is like, you know, to break away from the pattern of the, the old self and all yeah. that suffering, you know, and then you go to cross this river of change and you're like, but I'm so addicted to these feelings of shame and guilt. And Martha, I mean, honestly, your life, the way that it is now, the way that it's been for a while, it's so different than the way that it was when you grew up on so many different <laughs> levels. And I remember when we talked the last time and you said, and remember, not only did I have the pain of leaving that, which I was addicted to, like my own just, you know, emotional suffering. 
I was at Harvard where people I really respected, quote unquote, were like, are you crazy? You're, oh, you're, yeah. you're an academic. You're going to go off and life coach people. And right? you had a whole nother <laughs> set of like people coming at you and you did it and you did it and you did it again. It's amazing. And you said to me that one of the things that you were so astounded by was how many people voluntarily were suffering? Like you were looking at the world and saying, really? Like you're in a free society. You could choose out of this and you don't. So in your book, and I'm just going to read it here because it's so beautiful. So her new book is called The Way of Integrity and explores why integrity being in harmony with ourselves is the key to a meaningful life. But she says that anyone can use to find integrity. We can find a sense of purpose, emotional healing, and a life that's free of mental suffering. Much of what plagues us is people-pleasing, worry, anxiety, negative habits, all point to what happens when we're out of touch with truly making us, with what makes us feel whole. So you're saying integrity is the cure for psychological suffering. So how the heck do we do that? Let's talk about it's it. very simple to say. And when I said it just bluntly up front, my editors were like, what? Because it also is very countercultural. It takes you immediately into the area where people might feel threatened that you're not participating in the culture the way they're used to it. And that's a really strong impetus for human beings to keep things the way we're used to them being. And when you threaten that, people don't, they aren't very happy. But to stay in integrity, to stay whole, to always make the choices that are right for your soul and your heart and your body and your mind, all you need to do is know what you really know, feel what you really feel. If anybody here has been to therapy, you know that sometimes you have feelings, but you don't let yourself feel the feelings, or you know that something is true, like a relationship's over, but you don't let yourself know what you know. So you know what you know, you feel what you really feel. Then you say what you really mean and do what you really feel is right. If you do those things, you will be whole. And not only that, but your, your entire life will start to bring like clusters of miracles. I cannot believe how magical life has become. And it's not because I'm off with the fairies. It's because I'm right here with my truth, trying to know what I know, feel what I feel, say what I mean, and do what I really feel is right. And people don't like it very often. People don't like it, but you guys like it. Like you're here with me. Hey, (laughs) I'd much rather be with you than with the people who are like, no, we don't want you to do what's really right for you. Yeah. So it takes a little courage at the beginning, but then when you break through and they've finished beating up on you, you're like, oh, I'm still on solid ground. And I wasn't before. And even with the pushback from other people, this feels best. This feels right. I mean, wow. Wow, wow, wow. So you've coached, I mean, thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many people you've touched with your work. Millions. Um, Including people like Oprah. We've heard of her. So what do you think in what you've observed? What was it that allowed them to go ahead then and, and do the things you just said to do? Because I find that people hit this feeling of, who am I to do this? I'm so unworthy of this. But Oprah could do it. She's got the, my vote, but not me. But she's just like us, right? On right. some level. I mean, I hate to put us in the same category, but we're all human beings, right? Made of the same stardust. So yeah. what allowed her to do that? And what allowed other people that you've worked with to cross that river? I think there are two things. One is that really intense 
desire to find what is true. And I think Oprah really, really has that. Her whole life is this quest to find from as many different arenas and angles as she can what's really, really true. And then the other thing is courage. I've never met the great Toni Morrison, but she wrote, or no, it was Maya Angelou, both great, great literary figures, who wrote that courage is the ultimate necessary virtue because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. So you can be kind if you're in a pleasant environment where everyone's nice to you, but when people are screaming at you, to be kind in the face of that, to be truthful in the face of that requires courage. So courage is the undergirding for everything. Well, I am not a brave person, but I figured something out once, and it is this. There is no difference between pretending to be brave and being brave. And every time I get too scared to take a step of any kind, I pretend that I have the courage to do it, and I act like the person who would have that courage, and it turns out there's no difference. It's absolutely amazing to me, and I want to just ask, when it comes to choosing to do something, it seems to me, it's fascinating. When I started Don't Keep Your Day Job, I thought, oh, let me just teach people how to build an ice cream shop, how to build a coaching business, how to build a yoga studio. And Martha, oh my gosh, what I wound up hearing from most of the people was, oh, wait, 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 I don't even know what I want to do. And I don't even know that there's a thing for me. I feel like I'm either average or there's nothing that I'm standing out in any one way. It's really hard for people to choose and to believe that they can believe in what they're choosing. Yeah. And so that, that area needs some courage. So I'm curious what you think about that. Well, to be true to yourself is to be true to your original nature. And the opposite of nature in many ways is culture. So when you're born, you're just pure nature. But by the time you're just a few months old, you're getting socialized to fit in with culture. And sometimes those go together. If your mom feeds you when you're hungry, there's no difference between culture and nature. But if your family says, no, you must only eat at appointed hours, you'll put aside your nature to go with your culture because the most important thing to us is to belong. So as children, we start drifting from our true selves very early. If you watch an animal or a a young baby, they aren't ever bored. They are never apart from their true selves and they're always fascinated by something. They're always figuring things out. They play, we call it play. But if you don't have a lot of stories in your head about what you need to do, you continue to play throughout your life. And one of the things that makes humans unique is something called neoteny, which is a mutation that means that we don't ever go through the change at puberty that other like primates go through where we stop growing and learning we remain in that rapid growth and learning stage throughout our lives if we continue to play. But most of us get caught in culture and we start doing things by rote. We have to go to school in certain ways. And my big soapbox is schools are designed to create factory workers. That's why they put same age children at same size desks, make them all do the same problems. That's not the way the human brain learns best. The human brain learns best outside, in motion, using all five senses, solving problems that are real, like, what do I eat? How do I make a fire? So if we're allowed to play, we play toward our true nature. But after, if we've been separated from play long enough, 
we don't even know where the track of our true nature is. It's like the, our true nature is an animal that went off into the bush and we're way over in some job under fluorescent lights. And we can't even see its tracks, let alone what our true nature really is. So I actually help people and I've actually done animal tracking to help people. What we always say is go back to the last hot track. You can't find an animal if you're just standing around and there are no tracks and you're going, well, I need to know where it is. You have to go back to a place where you either saw the animal or you saw something that was a sign it was there. And in our lives, that sign is what I call the ring of truth. It's a sense of joy and rightness and sort of click of, yes, this is, this is right for me. So I call it the sense of truth. And wherever you felt that, you go back to the last time you felt it. And you can be guaranteed that if you go to that place and start looking around you, you'll begin to find things that are uniquely fascinating to you. I've heard fascination defined as attention without effort. And that's what children and young animals do. So when you're fascinated, you start to move forward on this track and you discern what it is you are meant to do. I don't believe there are any two tracks that are the same. There aren't roads. I mean, look at what's happened in the culture in the last year. Everything has changed. And everything's going to continue to change more and more rapidly, even if we're done with pandemic and everything, the change levels are incredible. So a lot of people are in jobs that never existed until like a year ago. Other people are in jobs that have existed for a hundred years and now are going away. And we have to be able to follow the tracks of our own true nature to find our vocation in life. And everyone has one. You're right. I've coached thousands of people, everyone from homeless people on the street to billionaires have that sense of purpose and it always brings them joy, fascination, and peace. And this is a great time to go looking for it. <laughs> oh, God, that's so beautiful. Go back to the last time you felt that. And it's so good. And I could feel that in my body when you said that and you just click in. And this idea of fascination is just attention without any effort. Boy, does that feel right? It's just so wow. And the next thing that you were just saying, it was going to be my next question, which is that, I mean, what winds up happening is when people do go back and they find it, they get excited and they go, okay, I think I am going to do this. I'm going to start making vegan food. I love doing it. It doesn't take any effort for me to play in the kitchen and, and give that to other people. And then Martha, what I see, as soon as they go to do it, even when they're going to offer it for free, they feel like a fraud. Yep. And it's like, I'm going to go back into my cave because I'm a fraud. And you just bookended, you, you finish what you just said by saying, but even a homeless person, everybody has an absolute, like there is a purpose for you. You have a job here. Yeah. But why this constant feeling of being a fraud and how do we shake that? It's because of the way culture is structured. So culture pulls us away from our true nature and culture is the consensus agreement of a number of people, and it's not always articulated, but everyone understands. It's like the emperor's new clothes, right? Everyone in the crowd understands. They don't have to explain to each other that they're all going to pretend that the emperor is wearing no clothes, except for one child who isn't acculturated far enough yet. I do this podcast called Bewilder of Bewildered, which is where we talk about culture is coming to consensus and nature is coming to our senses. And what happens when you start to follow the path of your purpose is you come alive in your senses. You begin breaking patterns. 
like when I started becoming a feminist, intellectual in Mormonism, that is breaking the pattern. And I was gay. So the three enemies of the church in the latter days were proclaimed by the leadership of the church then were intellectuals, feminists, and gay people. And I was a three strikes. I was out, right? So to follow my nature was to break that culture. And the culture relies on everyone being in consensus. So when we start to push away, who wrote the, the artist way, Cameron? She says, when you're going to leave, they know. So it's at the moment you start to discover things that people start sending you messages that you need to get back into the consensus culture. Stop following your nature. That is, if we all did that, the culture would fall apart. Yeah, it would. And it probably needs to. Look at how corrupt and broken <laughs> It is. Black Lives Matter. Oh, my gosh. If they keep this up, the culture will fall apart. Well, yes, I hope it does. It's very, very bad, (laughs) the culture of oppression. But the culture pushes us back to consensus because it's almost like the collective has its separate consciousness that wants everyone to stay the same. And we get that as little messages, digs from our friends, from our, our relatives. I call them change back attacks. And they trigger shame in us. Mario Martinez calls it a tribal shaming, where the tribe tries to make you act in the consensus norm by pushing whatever shame buttons you've got. You know, a lot of us feel the imposter thing. And like Oprah said, people would tell her, you're so full of yourself. And for a while, she felt ashamed. And then she thought, what else would I be full of? <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay. I'm going to accept the tribal shaming and I'm going to go forward into my destiny because I know what feels true to me. And there's that passage we have to go through. But when those shame feelings come up, that is not a signal that you're on the wrong track. That is a signal that you're about to escape consensus and come to your senses. If you get past that, if you break past it and bear the transformational tension of people being angry at you or thinking badly of you and hold your course. You're going to move into this life that is so blessed, so lovely, so rich, so beautiful, and it will have its challenges, but they will be challenges your true nature loves. You will have that fascination and it is not worth giving that up so that you can stay inside the shame bubble of whatever your culture is. I love this conversation, but before we keep going, let's just take a moment to thank our sponsor. Glossier believes in the power of self-expression and personal choice in beauty and beyond. So they're always talking with their community about the best ingredients, the best techniques, and dream products. This is how they're able to create products that condense the best of beauty and are inspired by real routines, like the moisturizing moon mask, which leaves your skin feeling softer, looking smoother, and glowier in just 20 minutes. I love using this mask. I put it on every night, and it makes my face feel so hydrated and refreshed in the morning. They also have the Body Hero Daily Perfect cream that enhances your skin with glowy all-day hydration. It's made with cactus flower, prickly pear, and yucca extracts to keep your skin moisturized all day. I'm a big fan of this body cream because it's super hydrating without feeling oily or sticky, and I love how the orange blossom scent is so subtle, but still smells good at the same time. Get skincare and body care optimized for real life by visiting glossier.com slash podcast slash dream job. For a limited time, new customers can get 10% off your first order. This deal expires soon, so act fast. That's G-L-O-S-S-I-E com slash podcast slash dream job. I went to a workshop at a place called Onsite in November, and they were talking about how shame is from the outside in. You know, it's not something comes from us. It's other people put that on us. And when you were just saying that about Oprah, I was thinking about like an, 
the tallest, most beautiful trees. Like you never see a tree being like, well, I better shrink so everything else in the forest doesn't hate me. I better cut off my branches. Like everything in nature is designed to flourish and they have no problem being in themselves, right? Yeah. The next thing that comes up, Martha, on this path is like, first it's figuring out if do, if do I have a thing, then it's feeling fraud around doing it. And then here's the next piece. I was talking to David Lynch about it. And we were talking about what then happens is how easily people give up their thing, right? So they want to write a book or they want to be a screenwriter or they want to make pottery. Well, the first time you sit at a potter's wheel, you may not be a master. (laughs) (laughs) And the the second time and the fourth time and the 14th time, right? And we know from Carol Dweck's work and Angela Duckworth's work, this, this idea of like sticking in it and this resiliency, boy, is this a tough one. And I'm wondering what you've learned on your journey that helps people to find resiliency and to stay with it. Well, part of our culture is a linear model of change. So you're born unformed and not good at anything. And then you're supposed to go up on a, in a straight path toward mastery and perfection and all this grand a lot of other cultures have a circular model of change where you know yes there is spring and summer is a time of flourishing and autumn is a time of harvest but then you go into periods of things looking like they're just fallow and that's so that you can have a new outgrowth later and so it's fine to have these rhythms of feeling competent and feeling incompetent I see it as a kind of spiral everybody's always following it at some level we're always either just dealing with some new thing and we feel completely inept, like we've gone back to childhood. But that's actually a good thing. It means we're encountering something that we've never encountered and learning things we've never learned. Then we start to get a little bit of mastery and then we, a lot of it's a battle. Julia Cameron, she writes in The Artist's Way that there's this continuous striving to achieve ends that we always fall short of. There's something called dedicated practice. And they found this in people who become prodigies at something like a musical instrument or tennis or whatever. And what it is, is that there's a deep desire to create or become or achieve something for the sake of its beauty, for the sake of its fascination, right? And one cannot get there quickly. Now, some people just keep repeating practice, trying to get better. But people who have this deep practice or dedicated practice try really hard to be as good as like a master tennis player. And when they can't get there, they analyze what they did wrong and they're frustrated, but they go back and they go back and they go back. And there's something called the rage to master. And you see this in little babies when they're trying to learn to crawl or walk. They keep falling, they keep bonking their heads, it's miserable, they cry, but they will not be stopped. They have the rage to master that. And the culture is fine with that, but when you have the rage to master pottery, well, you're in the (laughs) making broken pots and off-center pots and stupid-looking pots. The culture is going, well, you're supposed to be in a linear pattern. If you're not great at this, you should go to something you're great at. And if not, you should just sit in the corner and be good and get a paycheck and go home. So you need the rage to master. You need the dedicated practice. And that demands being very close to what you really want. Remember, feel what you really feel. Know what you really know. um, Say what you really mean and do what you really want to do. And it will pull you through. And what they found is that people who just practice something over and over, 
they gain prowess. But people who have the rage to master and are really practicing in this way where it's actually quite frustrating and you're aware of your shortcomings, they learn more in six minutes than other kids learn in a month of rote practice. So find the rage to master. That's the first thing. You have to be on the path of your true self or you won't have the, the joy, the fascination that will pull you through that frustration. But there's a joy in the frustration. We, we secrete the most dopamine right at the level where we're almost challenged too much, but not quite. And you know you're there because you try so hard and you, you finally make something happen. You think, oh, that was so hard. I'll never do that again. And an hour later, you're like, well, but maybe I could do even better. And then you go again and look at how you built up this podcast, like just stayed with it. That didn't happen overnight. Wow. You had that rage to master. I do. I have that rage to master. My husband says I have the will of a small country. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that another thing that I've learned along the journey, and I'm curious what you think about it, is surrender. Because... Um, it seems my friend Kate Northrup always says like we're in this like very masculine, you know, we, we all have masculine and feminine energy, but sometimes we're so much in this masculine, we're trying to push yeah. and control and create this outcome. And so much of the magic, like Julia Cameron, who was on this show, she said, Kath, it's the synchronicity when you let go. Like then, then you're like, oh my God, what a coincidence. Like, no, it's not a coincidence. It's that you really in the flow and you're not trying to control like yeah. what's going to happen. You're co-collaborating with God, the universe, consciousness, whatever you want to call it. That letting go seems to be so hard for so many people, including myself. Like I do a meditation every day with this song, Surrender, just to kind of let go, just get out of the way. Is there anything that you do to practice that? Yeah, there's a meditation that I do um, whenever I'm trying to control anything and I'm frustrated and things are falling apart, which is often. It's interesting because you push yourself to your highest limit and then your highest limit isn't as good as you think it's going to be. And you have to surrender to things as they are. And you have to surrender all along the way. You have to surrender to being lost. You have to surrender to the truth once you find it. You have to surrender to your grief if you've been shamed and you're leaving culture. You have to surrender to the difficulty of following your path. You have to surrender to the fact that you've been overly socialized. And by surrendering to it, you relax into it and you break through barrier after barrier. So this is a meditation that I do with myself a lot. And I'd love to put you guys through a minute of it. I just was thinking one day, the very first thing I did when I was born was to breathe in. And the very last thing I'm going to do before I die is breathe out. And that's true of all of us. So breathing is a model of birth and death that happens over and over and over continuously throughout our lives. And each in-breath is accepting the world as it is. When you breathed in, when you were a newborn, you had no control over anything. Guess what? You still have no control over anything, basically, right? Very little. So every time you breathe in, you're allowing yourself to be present and alive in a world that you can't control. And every time you breathe out, you're surrendering to leaving the moment you've been in already. So you, and you surrender to the fact that you can't control the end of anything. So right in the middle of a very intense effort, like when I'm exercising, I can do this meditation. I just, on an in-breath, I say, I allow everything in the universe to be as it is in this moment. 
And on the out-breath, I think I surrender my resistance to everything in the universe being exactly as it is in this moment. And it's just in this moment, I allow it to be as it is. Not a lot I can control in this moment. Breathe out. I surrender my resistance to things being as they are. In, I allow things to be as they are. Out, I surrender my resistance to things being exactly as they are. So if I'm meditating and I'm sad and I think I should be happy, there's this stress, and then I realize, oh, that's a lie. The truth is I need to surrender to the fact that I'm feeling sad in this moment. I surrender to everything in the universe, inside and outside, being as it is. And then I breathe in and allow it to be as it is. And as that breath comes and goes, there's a trust in something that goes beyond the self. You join with the entire universal flow by not resisting it, by allowing it as it is. And it begins to work through your body and through your mind and through your brain to create what it wants you to experience. And what it wants, what your soul wants, is always better than anything your little human mind could dream up. And surrender and allow is how, how we touch it, how we reach it. Mm, it's so beautiful. I, I did a day long years ago with John Kabat-Zinn and he says similar words that were so freeing, like things are as they are and I can be with them just as they are. You said something so beautiful when you were here last time about how we have all these thoughts and you had this great analogy of like standing and looking through the window at the mm. blizzard which is the thoughts mm -hmm. rather than being in the thoughts. I thought I, I go back to that so often. And yeah. the second that you're outside looking at the blizzard, you're no longer caught in the blizzard. Right. And I think what so inherently part of the struggle for all of us is how often we are in that blizzard and yeah. it, you know, just cause you think it doesn't make it true, but we're in it. So how do you begin to help people to notice the blizzard and step outside of it. Yeah, that's just thinking of it being in a different room and stepping into another room and watching your mind work is something that works for some people. Another um, little exercise I like to do with other folks is to have them hold out their left hand, which activates the right side of the brain, and imagine in it a little wild self that is struggling very hard to be itself, um, but is always breaking the rules. Like, it doesn't want to go to work. It doesn't want to go to school. It doesn't want to take care of the kids. It doesn't want to eat healthy food or exercise or whatever. And it's always struggling. And then the right hand, which is controlled by the left side of the brain, is a figure I call the dictator. And the dictator is always screaming at the wild child, do things the way the culture says. You know, you've got to get up, no matter how much sleep you haven't had, eat what you're supposed to eat, do what you're supposed to do. And we often exist in this continuous conflict between nature and culture, the wild child and the dictator. So if you have a storm in your mind, you can usually find something that's trying to be wild and something that's trying to control it. And if you put those in your hands and you see them as little versions of yourself, and you can imagine them just like two inches tall, and they're screaming at each other, and look at the wild child and realize by nature, like you said, trees grow, animals run, and they fight, they fossick, they eat. And it just wants to be natural. And the dictator just wants everything to be safe and orderly and moral and good. So they're both good. 
And then notice how tired they are. The wild child doesn't understand why the dictator is always screaming at it. And the dictator is so exhausted trying to control the wild child. And they're both good and they're both tired. And then you look at them both and you offer them loving kindness, which is a Tibetan Buddhist term. And the, the words I use are from Tibetan Buddhism to both these little people. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. May you be protected. May you feel safe. You can just give them all kinds of good wishes. And if you watch, as you offer them safety, gentleness, kindness, they both start to relax just a little bit. And at that moment, here's the question you ask yourself. Who am I? Because I'm not the wild child right now, and I'm not the dictator right now. They're both in my hands. I'm the one offering love. I am the compassionate witness to the mind, which is not caught in the mind. It's just watching and loving. And that's actually at the back of the brain in the center. And it's an area of the brain that lights up when meditators reach a state of deep, deep calm or when a master musician is playing at peak form. It's the mind sort of plugging into the God force and finding that sweet spot where we can track our passions and where we can go through the frustrations and the, bypass the shame and break through into the lives we were meant to have. And so that's another exercise I use to, to talk about the mind and how to move out of it. Mm, so beautiful. So important. I wanted to ask you a question, which it's almost hard to even ask the question because it seems impossible, but that's why I want to ask you because you seem so yourself that I would assume like she never gets nervous. She never has imposter syndrome, but then I know because I can remind myself that you're a human and that you're also in this life doing this work. You've been on these stages. You've had to coach the most fancy people. How do you in those moments, have you ever been sitting there with Oprah or all, all of your friends are like you, fancy and important like you? Have you ever been sitting at one of these moments and just been like, oh my gosh, I'm about to walk on this stage and everyone's going to ask me for answers and I feel like an imposter. And if you have had that feeling, which I'm a kind of shocked if you have, but if you have, how did you do that? Because you do it to such an extent. You were asked to coach at the highest level. I can't imagine how you would overcome that if you've had that thought. So I'm curious if you have. I can't overcome it. I have the personality of an orphaned lap dog. I'm just like... <laughs> want everybody to approve me. I just want to be a good dog. Ah! Like it's, it's ridiculous. I just, I go backstage and throw up. I'm like, yeah, it's, my personality is not up for this. In fact, the first time I tried to speak in public, I fainted dead away, honestly, fell down. So what I learned, and I learned this in the period when I was like changing my perception of, of the world because of what happened with my son and everything. I thought, I can't do this but I'm not what's doing this. What's doing this is a consciousness that loves us all. It's a consciousness that is so much more intelligent than I am. And so what I do is I stop thinking about myself at all. 
I don't try to perform. I don't try to coach. And what I teach the coaches that I train is you don't coach. What happens is the person comes in brimming with God, essentially, brimming with this consciousness that knows what it wants to do with this body, this mind, this life. And your job is to get everything else out of the way. So I, I was really lucky to be exposed to Asian philosophy early in my life. I was a Chinese major in college and was not good at it. But I did learn some Chinese philosophy. And their way of looking at it is that you don't add expertise to yourself. You start out perfect and you gain illusions. It's like moss and filth grows on you. And all you have to do is to scrape off the moss and the filth. And what's underneath that in every single one of us is this pure crystal, the, the jewel at the heart of the lotus that is reflecting all the other jewels in the universe. And in each reflection of each reflected jewel is the reflection of all the other jewels. So there's this metaphysical glory that you enter if you can just drop your need to excel as a human and go in there in service of the divine and the other person. And it never, ever fails to step up. It, it's like water. It runs into any space we give it. And then we don't have to do anything. It's all done for us. In the Tao Te Ching, it says, when nothing is done, nothing is left undone. I think that might be one of the best things I've ever heard in my lifetime. Thank you for those words. That was so unbelievably holy. Um, the first time I heard you speak live, it was at Oprah University in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And then she came out and she took her shoes off. She's like, my shoes are uncomfortable today. And she stood on the stage and she said, I don't know how to do this. So I don't try. Every day of my life, I just open my arms and say to God, please use me yeah. because I can't do this. And it's a big task. And the way you just explained that and put words to that was the first time that really truly made sense to me. It is so stunning. And I'm so- well, It wasn't me talking. See, see what you did there? Um, <laughs> and you let in on your own to the other thing I was going to ask you, because you've been doing the Wayfinder Life Coach training for a while. And I, I often think to myself, wow, you know, people sign up to be coached by the coach to become a coach. And I wonder how often they meet that same feeling of, but I'm not her. And I'm thinking, well, what does she teach them to do? And you just answered it. Yeah. Just let go. Let go of everything that isn't your truth. And then what steps forward is the truth filtered through this particular person. And it's as unique as your fingerprint. It's priceless. If you really let go, if you really let it work for you, it will never go to the wrong place. And if you do go to the wrong place, you say, I'm so sorry. I made a horrible mistake. Could we get back to before I made a complete fool of myself. And like the first thing I teach the coaches is to say, tell me where I'm wrong. Because that's something that we're never taught to do, is to actively seek disconfirmation. But it's the only way we learn. So another thing it says in the Tao Te Ching, which is my favorite book of all time, Chinese, ancient Chinese book of wisdom, it says all streams flow to the sea because it is lower than they are. Humility gives it its power. So all we have to do is take off the egoic trappings of our culture, which demand that we be something special. All we have to do is set that down and move into the compassionate witness and say, I'm here to help. I'll say what comes out. If it's wrong, you'll tell me and we'll get back on track. 
And the truth in the person always means the truth in the coach. And it's that truth that we're after, not anything the coach would think. That's so amazing. And it, it just reminds me, we just don't, you know, trust ourselves, which is what you started this conversation with. And then also I, I feel that we, on some level, believe we have to earn it all the time. It's like the Mary Oliver poem, Walking on Your Knees for a Thousand Miles, The Wild Geese. It's, it's just never enough. I have to do more to earn love, to earn respect, to earn it. I have to earn it. And I'm not prepared enough. I'm not ready enough. I haven't given enough. I haven't done enough. Ugh, this culture, there's no way we could ever be enough. The, the book I just wrote, The Way of Integrity, follows Dante's Divine Comedy, because that's an obvious self-help vehicle. For me, it really is. And that's why I wrote it. And in the, the Divine Comedy, Dante starts out in this dark forest where he's always, he's terrified. It's foggy. There are people running around and they're all terrified. They don't know where they're going. And they keep trying to climb this mountain and it looks really shiny and beautiful. But wild beasts keep chasing him down the mountain and he can't ever climb high enough on that mountain. It just is, he's so exhausted. And finally he meets um, the ghost of his favorite dead poet, Virgil. And Virgil says, oh yeah, that's not the way to paradise. The way to paradise is beneath our feet. The way to paradise goes down, not up. So leave the culture and go down into the depths of yourself, which is the way I interpret the inferno, and find the places where you're living in illusion, where you're lying to yourself, where you're not absolutely true. And he goes down, 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 until suddenly he passes the point, the center of the earth, and by going down, going the same direction, he's suddenly going up. And when we go into ourselves, like we stop trying to pursue the things that the culture says will make us feel better. They will never, ever, ever make us feel better. We have to go in to find the places where we've accepted lies. And we have to find the teacher inside us. That's the Virgil inside us who says, no, you recognize the truth. You feel it in every cell of your body when you hear it. So find the truth, leave the lies. And while you think you're just digging down and digging down, what you're actually doing is passing the center of the earth and you're on your way to paradise and the truth will take you all the way there, but the culture will never get you there. Unbelievable. Um, you guys, you can go ahead and pre-order her book and you I think will be very happy you did. And last question, because it comes up in different ways. It, it's about the security of the job. It's coming up. And so what I've heard a lot from having conversations with, with people is how much scarcity people feel about what's possible and about money. And then what accompanies the scarcity and not believing that there's money out there for them is also a, a feeling of shame around having money. Yeah. Right. Like you, it's, it's so conflicted. It's a more conflicted thing than sex and our culture money is just so fraught with shame and all kinds of fear and all of that. But here's the thing. There is abundance everywhere and put your attention onto the reality that there is plenty of oxygen for you, that there is plenty of grass on the lawn outside, or there's plenty of dust or sand in the desert. There's plenty of water in the oceans. I have plenty of books in my house. Start looking at places where you have plenty where things come easily to you and change the narrative in your, your head from our culture's narrative, where it's all about scarcity to a narrative where it's all about 
good things multiplying. Last thing I'm going to say from Dante, such a genius. He teaches, Dante learns on his way to paradise that in our world, everything we want has to be divided up. Like there's only so much gold, there's only so much food. But in the world of paradise, where he's headed, everything good is about the feeling associated with having something. So the feeling of security associated with money is what we really want. The feeling of belonging that comes with love is what we really want. We want those feelings. And the feelings multiply. So the more the people who get them, the more the supply increases. So it's like if you got a puppy into your family and there's a family of five, the family of five doesn't have to decrease their love for each other to include the puppy. The puppy brings love and everyone feels more loved and abundance just showers out of that perspective. So if you can move into that view that what we want is the feeling of joy and that the feeling of joy is multiplicative, we don't have to divide it up. As we feel it, more supply is continuously coming. If you can do that with emotions, what I've found if you're living in your truth is that the physical world almost miraculously follows suit. Thank you for such a stunning, sacred hour. I so appreciate you. Um, Tell everybody where they can find your book and where they can find more of you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy to be with you and your peeps. Um, Yeah, I have a website, marthabeck.com, and the book, I would go to Amazon or, or some other online bookseller if I were you, or if there's a bookstore that you have somewhere. I don't know if they exist. I'm sure it will be there. But not until April. So you can pre-order it online. We will. We will. Thank you so much, Martha. Thank you for Thank being with you us. guys. Oh my gosh. How great is she? Here are the takeaways. Number one, know what you really know, feel what you really feel, say what you really mean, and do what you really feel is right. When you do those things, you will be living with integrity. You will be whole. Number two, courage is the ultimate necessary virtue. Even if you're afraid, just pretend you have the courage to do it. There is no difference. Number three, to be true to yourself is to be true to your nature. Go back to the last time you felt the ring of truth, the sense of joy and rightness, the click that said, this is right for me. If you go back to that place, you're going to find the things that are uniquely fascinating to you. Number four, when feelings of shame come up, it doesn't mean you're on the wrong track. It's a signal you're about to escape the cultural consensus and come to your senses. Number five, look at your wild child and your dictator. They're both good. They're both tired. Offer them loving kindness. You are the compassionate witness to the mind. Number six, you don't have to add expertise to yourself. You start perfect. And every single one of us is the pure crystal, the jewel at the heart of the lotus that is reflecting all of the other jewels in the universe. Number seven, we don't have to do anything. It's all done for us. When nothing is done, nothing is left undone. And number eight, the way to paradise goes down beneath our feet. Leave the culture and go down into the depths of yourself. When you keep digging, you'll find your truth and make your way to paradise. My friends, I can't thank you enough. I know that you have a zillion things going on. It means a lot that you're here. Thank you. And I've already talked your ear off about Matthew McConaughey, but guess who else is going to be back on the show soon? Seth Godin is coming back. He has a new book coming out. He'll be back to talk about it. It's going to be another awesome conversation with him. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you don't miss any of these great shows. And before we hop off, I'm just curious, did this episode inspire you? Did something click? Can you think of one person who might need one of the nuggets of truth that you got from today? If so, please email this link to the show to somebody or text it to them or post about the show in your Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller, kathy with a C, because I'd love to repost it. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. 
The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. So many times I chose to run. So many times I held my tongue. I held my tongue. Never saying what I needed to. So